We have an awesome God. You know, as a pastor, if you just look with human eyes, life can get pretty discouraging sometimes. You know, last week we had 102 here, and uh, it was great to see all the faces and some people that we hadn't seen in a while. And then this morning we get here, and there's a whole lot of those people that were here last week that aren't here. Some of you are here this week that weren't here last week, and I thank you for that. I just want you to know that we preachers are human too, right? So we see things and we have to say, okay, God, give me clarity of vision. And he's done that this morning. It's been, it's been awesome to know that he has spoken so clearly and so perfectly in these or in this day. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a story this morning. I'm going to deal with the principle this morning that... Um, I will not have enough time to deal with in as much detail as I would like to. Most of you know the story. You're going to follow the story with me. It's found in Genesis chapters 13, 14, 18, and 19. There's uh, actually mention of this in a variety of places throughout Scripture. And the, the question, the terminology that I'm using this morning... The thing that I'm comparing is the life of Abram and the life of Lot. And I've asked these two questions. In comparing Lot's life to Abram's life, one was entangled and the other was unencumbered. You know the definition of those two words? Unencumbered means that you don't have anything weighing you down. It's like when you're getting ready to um, run a race, a runner is getting ready to run the race, right? Or let, uh, we'll just use basketball. We're at NBA time right now. They, they're getting ready to play a basketball game. And when they come out on the court, they've got, you know, they've got their earpieces in their ears and their iPods or their their phones or whatever on their sides and they're listening to their music and they got these big old bulky sweats and and some some of them have headgear on and and other things and they're out there just doing right this but when it's time to play off come the earphones down goes the iPod off come the sweats and they're in shorts and tops so that nothing inhibits their ability to do what needs to be done. The other side of that would be like just before the game. To be entangled just before the game, you decide, you know what? I like the songs on my iTunes, on my computer, and I don't have all of them transferred across. So let me just hook up to my computer. I'm going to put my computer under my arm, right? And I really, I haven't had enough to eat. So I think I'm going to get me a bag of chips. Right? Put it there. And I need a Coke. Anybody got one of those little things where I can slip it on my side and have my little Coke holder right here so I can get my Coca-Cola out? Got to be careful in these days and age. You can't even call Coke Coke without it going to be something like a drug or something. So uh, the, the idea is that that's entangling ourselves, encumbering ourselves, putting more stuff on us 
that would not make it possible for us to be effective in playing a basketball game. You follow me so far? Abraham and Lot, or Abram and Lot, both started in a pagan culture. Lot's daddy died. Abram became like a surrogate father to him. Abram let go of his land, let go of his gods, let go of all those things, and guess what? Lot did too. Follow me. But as life went on, Abram was able to let it go. Let it go. Oh no. I know some of you, some of you get to hear that every day. Uh, some of you work in those little nurseries with kids and you get to hear that played and or your grandchildren come over and they put it on and it just goes. Abram was able to let it go and not become encumbered again. Once he left that culture, once he identified with his true God, he was able to go even when God blessed him with stuff and he was not encumbered by the stuff. Ooh, but... Lot. Even though the scripture said he was a righteous man, which means he was a worshiper of one, the one true God, Lot's life became entangled. I'm going to talk about some of the things he became entangled with this morning. And I want you to follow me and I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, have these things become entanglements for me? Genesis chapter 13 verses 1 and 6. So Abram went up from the Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything that he had and Lot went with him. You know, last time we preached, I took Lot came, or Abram came over from Ur of the Chaldees and into to is to Canaan and then he went down into Egypt. Well, now he's coming back up out of Egypt after that famine that had forced him down into there and he comes back out of Egypt and he goes back to where he started. Uh and when he came back up out of the Negev, with his wife and everything that he had, and Lot went with him. This, this is important to understand. Abraham did everything with Lot up through this point. Lot was right beside him. They were brothers. Well, nephew to uncle, but he treated him like a brother. Abraham became very wealthy in livestock. Now, he was already wealthy before he went. When he went down into Egypt, times were good. Things were great. He got wealthy Ur. His livestock, silver and gold, and from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. Notice it doesn't say that about Abram, but it says that about Lot. Let me tell you why that is. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great, they were not able to stay together. Here's what marked Abraham's life. Everywhere he went, he built an altar. Every situation that he faced, he called on the name of the Lord. Every circumstance of life that was a part of Abram's world, God was a part of with him. 
Abram invited God to be active in his life. Lot tagged along with Abram. We don't have one instance in Scripture where Lot ever built his own altar. Doesn't mean he didn't, but we're not told of it. We don't see Lot going away and seeking the face of God. Never. We always see him following the crowd. Here's the first question that I want to ask you. Have you, like Lot, become entangled in your wealth? Or perhaps entangled in your debt? So that now, rather than serving God, you serve what that represents for you. I'm asking. I'm asking because the Holy Spirit asked me to ask you this morning what may be entangling you, preventing you from running the race without all the accoutrements on. In Lot's case, it affected him so badly that he had to separate himself from his uncle. He had two choices. We see it as no choice. We see it. They had grown so big that they could no longer stay together. But that's not the whole sentence. They had grown so big they could no longer own the same amount of cattle and sheep and camel and servants and still stay together. To have possessions, to maintain those possessions, we sometimes have to give up relationship. Is the service of wealth or the service of debt entangling you? Point number two, family relationship. This is what he gave up. Quarreling rose between Abram's herders and Lot. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarrel between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So, the wealth was more important than the family. Having the right to keep his herds, to grow them big, to sustain his his land was so important that he separated himself from the one who had become his father. Abram said, okay, and here's what I'm going to do. You choose. Right? You ever have to do this as a kid? You get one sandwich? Sandwich? And you cut it in two with a knife? And you try to be as careful as you can to cut it even so that you have two equal halves. And if you're the one that cuts it, the only way to win, quote unquote, the only way to have without argument is then to offer to your sibling one of the pieces of their choosing. Because you know that you cut it as evenly as you possibly could. 
But if they perceive that your piece is bigger than theirs, or if they don't like it, your piece is smaller than theirs, they will fight you. You know what I'm talking about? So what he's doing here with this scenario is he's saying to him, you can have whatever part of the land you want to live in. I'll go to the other. Because you know what? You're more important to me than sustaining my flocks. You're more important to me than the stuff that I own. You are more important to me than having my own personal way. My family is important. Now let me go back here and tell you something else. There's another piece to this that could be the reverse. Some of us, and I've known families like this, who put family before God. And if family decides they want something, then God has to take what's left over. Ooh, not too many amens there. But it is a reality. If you are encumbered or entangled in family relationships, whether good or bad, you need to let go of it. He was encumbered by his personal motivation, by his ambition to be something. He looked out, and rather than saying to his uncle, you know what, I'm going to go over here, or I like this area, maybe we can switch out. You could come over for six months, and I could come over for six months. Or maybe we could go, you could have half of that area to graze your sheep, I can have half of the area, and we'll make it work. No. He looked around and saw the whole plain of Jordan toward Zoar, as well watered like the garden of the Lord, garden of Eden, right? And like the land of Egypt, which had just recently gone through a major prosperous time. And Lot chose for himself the whole plain. Y'all caught that, right? Not half of it. The whole plain. Chose for himself. And he set out toward the east. Now where they were, he set out toward the east, which would have been crossing the Jordan River. But I want you to notice. I'll share it with you in a minute. The men parted company. They met after that. Matter of fact, Abram never stopped loving his nephew. But they never had the same relationship that they had before. It was over. Because Lot chose his own personal ambition over that of the relationship with God and the relationship with Abram. What about encumbered or entangled by the focus of your attention? Abram lived in the land of Canaan. This is where God promised him. While Lot lived among the cities of the plain. Do you know what God had told Abram? Do you know what God told his family? You're going to leave here and you're going to go to a country that I'm going to give you. But until I give it to you, you're going to be sojourners. Which means you're not going to have a permanent place of residence. Cities are place, permanent places of residence. 
Lot started out living in a tent, but his tent was facing the city. In case you don't see it, sometimes in our life, we look toward things that we know we aren't supposed to have. And we focus our attention on the things that God has said no to us about. And, and we may not be there immediately, but we're looking at it. And when we get fixated and start focusing our attention on the things that God had said no about, before long we will find ourselves where we are looking. And God said no. Are you entangled by the focus of your attention on things that God doesn't want you looking at, let alone participating in? Lot became encumbered or entangled by dangerous liaisons. It's interesting, the difference of the relationship that Lot had with the political structure and the relationship that Abram had with the political structure. The kings of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adna, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddim, against Kedorlaomer, the king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Ar- um, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. Guess who was right in the middle of them? He built alliances with the sinful, worldly, destitute city of kings. Five of them. It was, a, it was a group of five. By the way, these were located just below the Dead Sea. In a time where the Dead Sea's dark, uh, very salty waters did not permeate that lower plain. It came up and ended. And there, at one point, that plain was a little higher than the sea. And the waters came out of those wadis, those rivers. And each one of those cities along there were on one of those various wadis where the water rolled out and flooded that plain. And so the plain was lush and green and beautiful. Up around the edge of the wadis, there were um, tar pits. It'll figure in just a minute, okay? So these kings aligned themselves against the other kings who they had been paying um, tribute or taxes to. And they said, we're done. We're not paying any more taxes to them. And so they started a war. Thinking five against four, I like our odds. Right? And who was in the middle of it? Lot. So when the fighting started, those kings, the five, were overtaken by the alliance of the four. They came down in. And when those kings started to retreat, they forgot about the tar pits. And a bunch of their men got stuck in the tar pits and they were slaughtered. And then the kings fled to the mountains. So the people who were supposedly protecting Lot and his city were now stuck up in the mountains. The ones that weren't already stuck in the tar pits. So those kings, the four, marched down, took everything 
out of those cities, all of their vegetables, all of their riches, all of the things that had any value that could be transported, and even took prisoners and folks to put ransom for. And they went back to their own area. Now, I don't know how many people were in their armies, but it was not a little ragtag team. It was a pretty good-sized group of people. Well, see, Abraham went in, or Abram went in, and when he established relationship with these people, he said, I'm going to sojourn through the land. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. I'm not here to take your land from you. I'm here to go across it, to walk across it. May I have permission to do that? And he, he basically established a good running relationship. Lot went down there and started living inside the city. He became a city boy. He became a part of the political structure. Later on we find him where he's a leader in the city. God said don't go be a part of that. And by the way, Sodom's sinfulness was known long before Lot started down that direction. This wasn't a surprise that the city changed on him. This was something that happened. He knew it was happening. And yet he placed himself in that scenario anyway. Dangerous liaisons. And then the location of his affection. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot in his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Now remember before, his tent was facing Sodom. See the progression? Wasn't enough just to be looking at the nastiness. He had to go join it. And as a result, he was taken captive. Now in that wonderful idea of taking captive, word got back to Abram. Uh, those four kings came down and, and destroyed the city. And by the way, they took Lot. What? So Abram then got 318 men who were born in his own household. That's a lot of servants. That's a lot of household. Some of them may have been relatives. Some of them servants. Some of them paid workers. But he got 318 who were born in his household. He knew he could trust them. And he said, uh, <clears throat> guys, we're going to go get Lot. I don't know about you, but being one of 318 up against four different kings would be a rather frightening perspective. I would say that's not really, really good odds, except remember the location of the affection of Lot was on the relationship with the city. Abram's affections were turned toward God. And he knew if I do what God wants me to do, which is go rescue Lot, because he's a part of the family and God's promised the family he will be with me. And he was. I mean, literally, it says not only did he get his nephew back, but he routed the king's armies. And, and it wasn't enough just to beat the king's armies. It said he chased them. Into the... I mean, he didn't leave them alone. 318 men did some major damage. And he not only got Lot back, but he got all the possessions that were taken from 
Sodom and Gomorrah, or from, yeah, Sodom. And he brought them back in, came back over down south of uh, Jerusalem in order to return him and his possessions back to Sodom. Guess what Lot did with it? Lot used it as an opportunity to get in with the leadership council of Sodom. We later find him sitting at the city gate, which means that he was he was a political mayor or city council member sitting at the gate judging other people. But look here what Abram says, and I'm sorry this is very small print. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. We know that Melchizedek was a priest in Salem. Salem is another word for Jerusalem. Zion. But he was not just any old priest. He was a priest of the Most High God. And what is wild about this is this was before the priestly system was ever established. He was a true worshiper. There are bits to this that many folk believe that Melchizedek was a type of Christ. Some believed that he was actually him in form, who received worship, certainly received an offering from Abram. But look what he tells him. He tells him, he says, you know what? Blessed be Abram, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies. I love friends like that. I love good godly people like that who come up to you and say, how you doing? Doing great. What's happening? How's your church doing? It's doing great. We had 12 new members this year. God has certainly blessed you, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. You see, it's not about what I have done. It's not about what you have done collectively as a body. It's about what God has done. And Melchizedek is telling Abram, He did this for you. Now, here's the, here's the order. The king of Sodom came out at first and recognized Abram. He had been in the hills hiding. He lost his town. He lost all the goods from his town. He comes back up, and now Abram's going to deliver this back into his hands and deliver Lot back again. And Melchizedek doesn't wait for that exchange to take place. He comes out and says, Abraham, Abram, you to man, but you to man because God made you to man. No other reason. It's God. And Abram said, I, I agree with that. Then the king of Sodom comes back and he says, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. You can't be much of a king if you don't have people to worship you, right? You can't have people to give you the money. You can't have people to rule over. If you're a king ruling over nothing, you're nothing but just a maniac. So he needed his people back. 
But he's like, we, we, we can do this. We've got a well-watered plain. We can make food. And, and you just keep the stuff. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, with a raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth. I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made you rich. God made me rich. God gave me what I have. It's not from you. My goodness, folks. We'd have a lot of televangelists who would be without jobs if they would turn down the folks who want to turn the heads of the puppets. You see, that's what the king of Sodom wanted to be. He wanted to be a puppet master in Abram's life so that he could say, I gave him that stuff, now you have to do something for me. Abram said, no, no, no. No, I did this because it was the right thing to do. I did this because of my nephew. You got your stuff back. I'm not taking a dime. If you want to give the boys something for doing the work, I don't have a problem with you letting them claim their spoils, but not me. I will not have anything that will allow you to rule over me in that fashion. And at the same time, within a very short period of time, Lot went from being a captive to being a ruler on the city council. Political ambitions. Then the encumbered or entangled interaction with the holy and the profane. How do you handle things that are holy? How do you handle things that are profane? In chapter 18, we see the picture of three men coming to visit Abram. At that time, they changed Abram's name to Abraham, Sarai's name to Sarah. They make the promise of this child. You see, 16 years uh, before, he had given birth, or his her handsmaiden had given birth to Ishmael. And now the angel of the Lord says, next year, when I return, you're going to be the mother of a baby boy. She is 89 years old. Woo! 89 years old. And the Lord's going to breathe life into that womb. And Sarah laughed. When these men came in, Abram, because he was someone who stayed in the presence of God, immediately recognized them as being from God. They were angels of God, except for one of them, was God in flesh. We know that because after he worked out that and they had fed him and and they were standing there talking and they were talking about the scenario, it says the two of them went on down to check on Sodom to see that all that they had gotten back was true. And it says, the men turned away and went down towards Sodom, but Abram, or Abraham now, his name is changed. Remain standing before the Lord. While he's standing there, you remember what happened? We're going to destroy Sodom. And and we think of it as Abraham's trying to manipulate God into doing something. But the reality is, you know what God is doing before Abram? He's leading him. 
He's leading him down the road. Ask me. No, you can't have that. I mean, yeah, if there were 50, I would do it. But there aren't 50. Well, Lord, if there were 45 righteous men, would, would you spare Sodom for 45 righteous men? Yeah, yeah, if there were 45, I'd spare them. Perchance, if there were 40, well, yes, if there were 40, I would. 30, 20, 10. And when he got to 10, God said, yes, I would spare it for 10. But there's not 10. And it says the Lord finished speaking. And when the Lord finished speaking, Abram knew or Abraham knew. I can't speak anymore because God's done. If we could get that. If we could get that peace. If we could learn that peace when God stops speaking. We need to just shut up and let him do what he's going to do. Oh my God, I want. Oh my God, please. God, no, no, I welcome you to ask me. I welcome you. I invite you to share with me. If you have a need of petition, I welcome you to do that. But don't keep speaking when I stop. Lot didn't learn that. His desire for approval created a scenario for him that his interaction with the holy and the profane became totally confused. You see, he had invited the two angels who came into the city because he was sitting at the city gate. When they came in, he said, oh, no, come to my house. And they're like, we're going to sleep on the square. He said, uh-uh, not in this town. You're not going to sleep on the square. Please, no. It's dangerous. we got maniacs out there. And, and, and you know that the term sodomy came from Sodom. And sodomy refers to homosexual activity. And these people were not just run-of-the-mill homosexuals. They were over-the-top homosexuals. Rapists. So Lot brought him into his house, and before long, you know what happened? They came knocking on Lot's door. Send out these men so we can have sex with them. He's like, no. These men are under the protection of my roof. They're special people. No, no, send them out. We want them. And look what he did. He closes the door behind him on the holy folks. And he goes out to these perverts. And he begins to reason with them. Uh, No, my dear friends. Huh? Y'all getting this? Wonder what would have been the same thing had they come to Abram's door. You think maybe 318 men would have been called into action again? You see, that's the purpose I wanted to tell you about the tents while ago. The reason it didn't have a whole bunch of tents for Abram was because Abram was dealing with less servants than Lot was. Lot had all these people making his life easy. That's the reason it said he had many tents. Lot had all these resources he could have called into question to protect those guys. He could have said, stop them, destroy it. But he didn't want to go against the culture. 
and his desire to be approved of. Folks, I want to tell you something. We are living in a world right now where the media and our federal government is trying to force us into a box where we accept sin and say it's okay. And it's not okay to say that sin is okay. And sometimes we have to make people mad in order to stand for a truth, in order to protect what God has sent us to protect. As a matter of fact, folks, I want to tell you this. Here's what I know. If I am so full of the Holy Spirit in me, people are going to treat me in one of two ways. Either the Holy Spirit in me is going to convict them of sin and they're going to draw closer to the Father. Or it's going to convict them of sin and they're going to get angry at me. And you know what, Devin? I may be doing that to some people even that are in here today. At some point in the people, some point in the future, somebody may come up to me and say, Pastor, I don't like what you're saying about this person or that stuff or this sin or that. And you know what? I'll have to do that. I love you, but I must stand for what I should stand for. Lot didn't. His desire for approval let him be, let him compromise what he stood for. Remember, he, he is noted even in in the second second Peter chapter two, he is noted as being someone who hurt because of the evil that was taking place in his city. He just wasn't willing to stand up for it. And then he told him, "You know what? I like you so much. I don't want to hurt you so much. I'll send out my two own daughters, my own flesh and blood, so you can have your way with them. Does, does that affect anybody else like it affects me? I just want to reach through tr- time, grab that boy by the throat, and rattle his head. It's more important to him. That his own prestige, that his own likability be there. Than it is to protect the God-given virginity of his two daughters. Alright. How about being encumbered by the acceptance of truth? Can I tell you something? Truth is truth whether anybody believes it or not. I don't care if every single one of you are opposed to something. I don't care if every single one of us are opposed to something that God has said. It's still truth. If no one on earth agrees with it and God said it, it doesn't change the fact that it is truth. We live in a society today that says if the majority of people believe this way, then that's truth. Uh Uh-uh. They told him, they said, get out of this place. It's going to be destroyed. They begin to impress upon him the urgency. It's going to be destroyed immediately. It's going to be, it's not going to be the same place. You're not going to recognize it. Get out, get out, get out, get out. And, and he was, he was piddling around. He didn't want to leave. 
It was too comfortable. Life was too good. Things were too nice in his environment. He didn't want to let go of it. And they finally, the two men, grasped his hands and the hand of his wife and two daughters, and they literally ran them out of town. Not because they were trying to manipulate their lives, but because somebody had prayed for them to protect them, namely Abram. Even when it was time for destruction to happen, he couldn't accept the truth. Then he couldn't deal with the disappointment. When he was told to leave, they said, look, don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plane, this whole five-city plane. Get out of it, flee the mountains, or you're going to be swept away. And he's like, I know about the mountains. I'm a city boy. Just send me to the little city, which is what Zoar means. Used to be called Bella, but after Lot, it became Zoar. And you know what they did? They said, okay, we won't destroy Zoar. Go to Zoar. And so they went. And remember, just as they got to Zoar to enter that city, they had walked all the way from Sodom. When they got to Zoar, what happened? Lot's wife whipped around. What did the angel tell them? Don't look back. I'll share more about that in just a minute. So they let him go to the city. He couldn't deal with it. What did he do? He didn't stay in the city long. He ended up leaving the city and going to the mountains because everything that he knew, everything around him reminded of what he, him of what he lost. He lost his wife. He lost two daughters and sons-in-laws who were still in the town. He lost all of his possessions. He lost all of his cattle, all of his donkeys, all of his camel, all of his sheep, all of his things that he had. He lost every bit of it. Why? Because he was entangled in the world in which he lived. He couldn't deal with the disappointment. He left the little town of Zoar and went to the mountains, hid out in a cave, and guess what? He just sat there drinking. And his daughter's are sitting there with him while he's drinking. They had been raised in Sodom. So their mindset was a little screwed up. So they gave their daddy drink. And at nighttime, one of them went and lay with him. And he was so drunk, he didn't know who he was laying with or what happened. And he conceived his grandson through his daughter. And then his second daughter said, or his first daughter said, look, I, we, we're not going to have an offspring. There aren't any people left. The whole plane's gone. Everybody's dead in here. We need to have our line go on. You, you, you sleep with daddy too, so we'll get him drunk tonight and you can do that. And so the second daughter did it. And therefore, Moab and Ben-Ami, the Amorites, Ammonites, who were constant enemies forever of Abram's, Abraham's children, were born. 
Let me read you to what 2 Peter chapter 2 says. People are slaves to whatever masters them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed to them. Are you entangled in your lives? Are there pieces of your world that are not submitted to Christ? Can you say, I have nothing that's holding me back? Or are there things that the Lord is bringing to your spirit that says, I need you to let go of this. Let me handle it. Such is your service to your wealth or your debt. Such is your family relationships, your personal motivations, your focus of your attention, the dangerous liaisons of your life, the location of your affections, where you are pitching your tents toward, your political ambitions, your interactions with the holy and the profane, your desire for approval, your acceptance of truth, your dealing with disappointment. The master you serve is either the Holy One and you have forsaken everything to live in His presence. Or it is the one who entangles and ensnares you in the pits of life. Ted, take this back to the second screen, please. This is a tree that has been completely overtaken by a fig vine whose sole purpose it is to entangle the tree and choke it of its life so that it may have life. The devil has one purpose in this world. That is to rise up and put his tentacles around your neck and squeeze the life from your body so that you no longer represent the one who delivered you from evil. To entangle you again and to choke the very life from your being. 